Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. We are here with Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with great financial information that you need to make smart decisions about your money, both during and after divorce. And today we have one of our guest experts, Robin Mann. And her role as a matrimonial attorney is to help clients through this process to come out on the other side as whole as possible. And she also shares that her goal is to help clients manage and minimize the stress of divorce, which we know is extremely, extremely stressful, helping them to have a happy and hopeful future. She guides clients through the complicated and difficult divorces, helping them with child custody disputes, also questions about and support with child support enforcement matters, assisting them to achieve a successful resolution. As a child of divorce, Robin understands how children can suffer, especially when a divorce is contentious and parents find themselves not being able to move forward. She mediates from that perspective, recognizing the needs of all parties, both the parents as well as the children, trying to create an agreement that benefits all the members of the family. Whether it's litigating or mediating a dispute, Robin draws on her over 30 years of experience serving clients' needs in family disputes. She also has experience in businesses as well as real estate matters. Her broad-based knowledge and expertise enables her to provide accurate and very useful advice on a large array of different legal, financial, and practical issues, which we all know play a very big role with separation or divorce. So thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Stacy. How did you find yourself in matrimonial law? Typically, everybody has a story of what brought them there. It's very rare that you will meet a matrimonial attorney who said, I knew at age five, <laughs> Johnny true. wanted to be a train driver and I knew I wanted to be a matrimonial attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very true. How did you find this career? All right. So about five years ago, I was looking to remake my focus and my specialties. I had done litigation in a broad base. I'd done real estate transaction work for a long time. And because of the recession in 2008, I lost everything financially and I lost my marriage at the time. And that marriage was connected to a real estate practice that was very lucrative for a long time, but it was in real estate. Mm -hmm. And so it just fell. So when I looked to reestablish myself and start a new firm of my own after my divorce, I thought that my experience with divorce personally would benefit me from a passion and experience basis. So my parents divorced when I was a young adult. It took them about nine years. It was very acrimonious. Almost immediately, my mother became my child. And it came at a time in my life when I was trying to launch. So I was going through law school and I was starting a career. I was looking for that, you know, perfect next step in my life, marriage, children, the whole thing. And it really put a kibosh on most of that. And because of the acrimonious nature, the family unit was destroyed and all of those, you know, expectations, values that you come with from your family unit. So I actually moved myself 
to Colorado at that point. I had to get out of Dodge. I was in New York at the time and I just, I had to get away from it in order to find myself. And when they were getting divorced, did you find yourself being pulled in? And and what age did, I mean, it was nine years. When did this start? So almost immediately after I graduated from college and I came home and there was a brief period of I'm home. And then it was pretty soon after that, that my mother attempted to kill herself, that she kicked my father out of the house. And it was all due to the fact that my father had an indiscretion. And I was in the middle of everything. I mean, I was there when she kicked him out of the house. And immediately she started abusing drugs and alcohol. And she became abusive to me. My brother was actually, I have a younger brother. He was in London, so he's a bit removed from it, calling me up telling me she was going to kill herself. And it became a very regular thing that she was either doing that or she was on my doorstep on some bender. And so I had just started law school pretty much within six months of that. It was very hard to focus on law school. It was very hard to focus on the next two jobs I had in New York. They were very demanding. I mean, I was working long hours in both those jobs as a lawyer, as a new lawyer in big firms. And the combination was just impossible. I mean, I was just destroyed. I wasn't doing very well. And so I just, you know, I think that by the time I was 31, they were finally divorced. But by that time I was in Colorado and I hadn't had much contact with my mother for about four or five years Mm -hmm. at that point, because I just couldn't, it wasn't beneficial to me. It wasn't healthy at all. Yeah. It's not healthy. I can only imagine that living through that experience impacted you as you went through your own divorce, but also impacts you every day with the clients that you're working with, because you have, Robin, you have a perspective that very few people have of both being a child of divorce and going through the divorce process with children yourself. Right. Which, by the way, was extremely the other extreme, not acrimonious. And I knew it needed to be that way for my children. So your divorce was, it sounds like, almost the exact opposite of what you saw. Oh, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, it was. Was that a very conscious decision? Yes, it was. Yeah. I knew that we were getting a divorce and my ex-husband and I are both smart and attorneys. And so we knew the impact and especially me. So I kind of guided us through the process. First of all, I walked away financially and it was at a time 2008 where we basically lost most of everything, but he had the business. So I was working in the law firm that we had together. It was the Milo law firm at that time doing real estate transaction work. And I left the law firm as soon as the divorce started Mm -hmm. and lost my income. Shortly after that, he started paying me a small amount to help me support myself, but I was ended up waitressing. I got a job as the executive director of a nonprofit. I did anything I could to bring in some money and have my home base because I had moved out. And at the same time, we were nesting in the main house with the kids. We kept the kids there and we did six months of nesting. One of us would be in the house for a week and then the other one would be in the house for the week because my ex-husband really hadn't been the hands-on parent. So he really needed to establish that kind of relationship with them that they felt comfortable with. And that was a good way to do it. Can you talk a little bit more about nesting? Because it's something that not a lot of people have really heard of. What are the mechanics of that? What does that really look like? Is it a good short-term as well as long-term solution? Like, what are all those? I just asked you a million questions. That's okay. I'll try to answer all of them. So 
The key point being that the children suffer less upheaval in their daily lives when the parents separate. Mm-hmm. So they're staying in the primary they home. Stay they stay in the stay. primary home. So the marital home is their home and each parent goes in and out on a schedule, which means two things. You got to have another place to go to. Yeah. In our case, we rented a, a small apartment. So it added an expense to our bottom line, but it was well worth it. Then the other thing it is, is it puts the upheaval feelings on the parents, which is where it really belongs. If they're going to decide divorce, it really was, you know, they're the adults, first of all, plus they've made this decision to make this change. So most of that upheaval is going to fall on the parents. So they're going back and forth and moving in and out every week. And then there's an expense. It's not doable for the long run. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, we did it for six months. And after about six months, it became silly almost. The kids were established. They understood that there was going to be a separation. They knew that this was the ongoing circumstance that they were going to live with and they didn't need it anymore. Plus it meant that we needed to move on into our own lives. Yeah, exactly. But it it also sounds like a really good way to get your kids established and comfortable for that then next step versus step where all of a sudden they're going between two apartments or two homes. Right. That makes sense. Right. And, you know, when you found yourself divorced, having to pick up the pieces financially, did you feel really comfortable with money? Had you been managing, you know, and involved with the money during your marriage? Or was this something also that was kind of getting your head around. No, I was very much hands off with money. So my husband basically handled all the financial aspects of our life and he gave me a stipend to live on. If I needed more, I asked him. He never said no. When the divorce happened, I discovered that he was rotating through about 40 no balance credit cards to fund that lifestyle. The free fees for 18 months, then he'd transfer and he would do another transfer and and another another transfer. And I didn't know about it. He was just rolling over debt. He was. And you had no clue. I had no idea. When I divorced, that was like a, you know, an eye opener to me. None of the men in my life have ever invited me into that arena financially. That's just a bottom line. My father didn't. He sent me off to college, opened me a checking account, gave me a checking book, a checkbook at that point, wrote a check and it bounced. And I had no idea what that was. I had no idea. I was embarrassed. I was clueless. I was clueless my whole life. Nobody. And When I started to ask questions of my now ex-husband about finances, he feed me bits and pieces. You know, he allowed me to see the financial statements of the law firm. All right. That was great. Then he allowed me to do some of the hiring and firing. So I understood what, you know, that end of the expense looked like. And because I'm good with people. So, you know, I slowly was taking more and more, but I really never saw the money going in, the money go out. I didn't see what the expenses were. I didn't know what they were of our personal life. Mm-hmm. So it was a real experience. I also knew that I was going to walk away financially from this divorce. I have a degree, lucky me, thank God to my father. But, you know, I always felt like I would find a way to take care of myself. And because it came at the time that we lost the house to a short sale, the business was making very little income because of the recession, I knew there wasn't a lot there. And what I wanted to do was preserve as much of the asset of the business for my husband, who had the deeper knowledge base and the deeper connections to use that asset in the future. I left the business to him and I asked him for a small stipend and I wanted him to use that asset, build it back up and support my children, our children. That was the most important thing for me in the long run. 
And so, as I said, I got a waitressing job at first, which was really hard. Never been fired from a job, but a waitressing job I've been fired from. Thank you for saying that. Oh my God, it was so hard. I waitressed. I was awful. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember the orders. I. <laughs> it was really. I'm a smart person. I know. But I know. that is a difficult job. My job as a financial planner, I think, is easier. Oh, I'm just throwing that out there. And so don't you go to restaurants now and, and you're like, mean. hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. It's right hard. You know, mm -hmm. I have to say, though, and this is really important for the women listening right now, that you did what had to be done. Oh, yeah. Right. There's something to say about that, Robin, and the strength that it must have taken to just kind of keep on putting each foot in front of each other, marching forward and making it happen in 2008 when in you know 2009 was a little better but i mean it was a very slow recovery it was it, it was. was and in a lot of ways i was very lucky because i started interviewing for jobs and not as lawyers in where i was in colorado there weren't technically jobs for lawyers or very few so it was either starting my own practice which was going to take you know years to develop there or getting a job and i interviewed for jobs and i was very lucky and i was hired as the executive director of Aspen Film. And I'd had lots of nonprofit experience when my kids were young and I really wasn't working full time. I did a lot of work with nonprofits. Plus my family's in the film business. So that combination kind of nonprofit and, and film yes, makes sense for Aspen yes. films. Yeah. And so I took over the helm there, which was way over my my like understanding. I mean, it was like I had never done anything at that level. They ran Aspen Film Runs four or five film festivals a year. And each one has about a thousand moving parts and about 50 volunteers. It's a huge, huge operation. And I hadn't done any operations at anything I had yeah. done, you know, so this was really huge. But I dove in and I did it for a few years and it was an incredible experience for me. And I learned a lot about business. And that was really important for what I'm doing now and what I did for the past five years, which was to build a business. Mm -hmm. I learned how to reach out to people and say, help. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, because that's the bottom line. You, you know, I don't think that that's something I ever was taught when I was young. Right. So but when you're in a nonprofit, you are constantly asking for help. Yeah. Financial help. Yeah. Volunteer help. Yeah. Help with, you know, putting together a, a program. And you're doing it in that sort of like, you know, this is a higher cause way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I've done with my practice since leaving Aspen Film is just about that, but in a different way, mm -hmm. just reaching out for help, making a community yep. and reaching out for help. So here you are, you're now on your own. Your husband had been more of the managing the finances. Now you're solely responsible did you put your head in the sand or did you start to take control of the finances? And if so, how did you do that? I had about a year of severe grief. Luckily, I am now married to a wonderful man who I had started seeing. But I definitely spent about a year of putting my head in the sand. Mm -hmm. But once I started to pick even in that year, I was getting, you know, some skill sets underneath my belt in order. I was doing some studying and I got a training and mediation primarily. But I also got involved with family kind, which you know. Mm -hmm. And so in that year, I did very little. And I focused on just building myself up from knowledge base and creating a community. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the best way for me to do this because I really didn't have a community to rely on. And I needed that internal strength 
Yeah. You know, so that I did that. And then I would never say, Stacy, that I'm great at business side of anything, right? So if I keep growing in this way and it keeps going in this way and I'm on my own, it's going to have to come out from other people helping me to support me in the business. But financially, I'm in the place where I'm able to shoulder half the burden my kids going to college. I have two kids in college right now. And I'm able to reach into a great group of people to bring to me you know, expertise and support that I need. So did that answer your question? Yeah, it sounds like, well, it sounds like you've really started to jump into the finances more. Yes. You know, I think it's important for women to hear that because there is hope. We're smart, right? You may not have really managed the finances during your marriage, but you can do this. And what I think the finance field does as a big disservice is I think they overcomplicate things. It's kind of the, you know, patting her hand saying, oh, honey, you don't have to worry about this. We're smart. We'll do it for you. And I don't know if we see that as certain advisors trying to gain business of this is too much for you. Let me do it. Mm -hmm. But what it's fostered is this myth that is untrue that managing your finances and tracking your spending and looking at your investments, that it requires a huge amount of expertise and knowledge. And that's not the case. I don't think so. You don't have to be Warren Buffett to be able to make good decisions about your money. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really want women to know that, you know, this work of investing and financial planning, it's not rocket science. No, it isn't. doesn't mean that you have to do it on your own, right? You can always work with someone, which is always a good thing. I know for me, I work with a trainer once a week because I know that that holds me accountable to actually go to the gym and work out, right? right? But, you know, I love that you have really gotten more involved and you've run a nonprofit. And I will tell you, running a nonprofit myself, a nonprofit is much harder to run than a for-profit. So if you can run a successful nonprofit, hats off to you. You most likely are very good with money because it is not easy. No, it's really not not Mm -mm. easy. For you, was there ever during your marriage or after like a financial tipping point or anything where you either hit rock bottom or was like, guess what? I need to get on top of this stuff. So I think, I don't know what it was, but my kids are around six or seven. We're living in the proverbial house on the hill with the big views on a lot of acreage. We've got a lot of income coming in. My ex-husband and I, we're doing very well. And this was in the 2000s? Yes, early 2000s. 2000s. And I'm starting to feel really nervous about the fact that we are house poor which is a very common circumstance among the professionals in the area we were living. And I also had seen my parents kind of go through a house poor situation. So I start to, you know, try to convince my husband that we should downside, put money into an account, start saving, start having something for an emergency and or 
to save for college. And his answer always is, it's the house. It's going to, we'll sell the house and it'll pay for college. And I'm always like, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't feel comfortable. I literally spent probably two or three years when my kids were, you know, four, five, six, seven, looking at other smaller houses, trying to commit and taking them, dragging them to houses, trying to take them through that process of making that transition. He always needed the big views. He always needed the 10 acres. He always needed the 4,000 square feet. I mean, literally, this was beautiful. And it was his dream. And I could understand, but it was really making me nervous. Mm-hmm. When 2008 happened, we were blindsided. And he's never apologized to me for it. If that had happened and we had done what I expected to do, we would have been in a much better place. I had my inheritance in there. I earned a, I had a small inheritance that my grandfather left. It's all gone. Gone. <clears throat> done. It was definitely a turning point for my marriage, my trust in my husband at the time, and my trust in myself. Yeah. Because I saw it coming. I don't think, I don't know if I saw the recession and the housing market bubble bursting, but I felt there was a lot of pressure in the housing market. Remember, I was a real estate attorney at the time. You know. I saw the prices that people were paying. I saw what was happening. Robin, I can't imagine being in a marriage where your voice is not being listened to. It's almost like, you know, you're looking in your rear view mirror, you're at a stop sign and you see a car coming and it's not slowing down and you know what's going to happen. That pit in the bottom of your stomach and how it comes up into your chest of you just know something's going to go wrong. Yes. And it makes you feel very lonely in the world. Yeah. You feel very alone when you're in that kind of marriage. You have to be really aware if you're in that situation. It's not healthy. And loneliness is one of the worst diseases out there. Yeah. You know, so it was a very lonely experience. It was an experience I really couldn't talk to anybody else about. It yeah. should have been a conversation that my now ex-husband and I had yeah. where I had a voice. For those women who don't have a voice in their marriage, sometimes I'll hear that, you know, my husband told me I don't know anything about this kind of stuff and, you know, this finance stuff mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, he knows, he knows this stuff better. For those women who are listening that are identifying, looking at their marriage and saying, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. Yep. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, prove it to him that he's wrong. And in the meantime, even if you can't prove it to him, prove it to yourself that he's wrong. Get the education, get the experience, get the support that you need, get yourself the information you need. Get yourself the confidence, you know, if it's happening in your financial sphere, it's probably affecting other spheres in your marriage. And I don't know how long that marriage is going to last. Maybe you have staying power. Maybe you are less prone to maybe we won't hit another recession and you won't be pushed out the door or face up with it. You know, but at the same time, you still have to have that in yourself because at some point in your future, it's likely you're going to have to have that responsibility. You bring up such a good point, Robin, that. If you're not being appreciated and listened to and recognized in the financial realm, there's probably other parts of your marriage, too, where you're not being given the time of day. Probably. Or, you know, poo-pooed or not, you know, essentially not being valued. And so that's a big, strong message that sometimes it's really hard for us to realize. Who wants to come to the realization? Yep that the person they've dedicated their life to hasn't dedicated their life to them. Yeah, that's hard. And what it's going to do is it's going to eat at you, you know, and it's going to make you feel less of a person, less valuable. 
Yeah. A good marriage is about, you know, supporting each other, thick, thin, open communication, but really maximizing each of your potential within your marital sphere so that you can go out in the world and do your best. Yeah. You know, and if you have an interest in doing something, you should be supported in it. Yeah. And not told you don't have to worry about it. But then, you know, that's pretty traditional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what's really sad that upsets me is when you have a person who is not being appreciated or valued and you start to see her confidence shrivel. And it doesn't matter how much education she has. It doesn't matter how smart and kind and wonderful that everybody else sees from the outside. They know that about her. But it's that it's almost like a flower Mm -hmm. who isn't getting the sun and the water and just shriveling up to the point where sometimes she is second guessing herself. Always. Second guessing herself. Well, maybe he is right not being able to any longer trust herself of this doesn't feel right. Should someone really be treated this way? Well, you know, he tells me that I'm too suspicious or I'm asking too many questions anyway. You know, and it's almost a vicious cycle Mm -hmm. that is just moving downward. How can a woman snap herself out of that? And how can she start to get her team to help her move to that higher place. So I think one of the things that I sought but did not take advantage of, and I should have in retrospect, was the support of a therapist. Yeah, I was experiencing a lot of depression. Of course. And of course. really, really scary thoughts about my life and myself and my value. And I went to a therapist, and her approach was... I think she saw that I wasn't getting what I deserved in my marriage, and she tried to build me up enough to go out and be professional to pursue my career for myself instead of within the real estate office that my husband and I had at the time, do something for myself with my degree, basically. And I did not follow that advice. Maybe if the marriage had lasted longer and 2008 hadn't come around, that would have been the road I would have eventually taken to get out, which was basically go out and make something for myself with whatever tools I had. And to start that, I probably would have started doing what I do now, which is meeting all the lawyers in town, right? And talking about the practices Mm -hmm. and figuring out who was needing help and where and that sort of stuff. So within the blessing of the sphere that I had, the legal sphere, I probably, that would have been my first approach. The therapist to support me, going out and meeting a lot of people, making my voice known I want something, which is where we came from in the beginning, help me. Yeah. Give it to me. I need it. And yeah. people don't usually say no. They may ignore you, but they don't usually say no. Mm-hmm. And so it's not really that painful or scary to ask. And then you'll get two or three to say yes. And you'll get so much from that. And little doors will open right and left and you'll just keep growing. But it's one step in front of the other. And it's just, yeah. you know, a growth process. I also love that you share about talking about a therapist and getting your the people to support you. We interviewed 150 women who had gone through divorce and asked them many different questions. But one of them was, of all the professionals that could have helped you, which would have been 
had the most impact. 60% said a therapist, which Robin, so that means more than 60% of women going through divorce don't have mental health support. It's the first thing I recommend to my clients. I feel like just existing with the day-to-day is difficult, let alone going through the trauma of a divorce or a separation. And so, yeah, and I'm, I tried to wrap my head around, and I love your feedback. So why don't we have a therapist? But I know me as a woman, as a woman, I always think of putting everyone first, right? I don't have time. I could be using that time to you know, be with the kids or money is tight now that we're going through a divorce and that extra money could instead be used for the kids to do this after school activity. And, you know, so many times we're on the bottom of the totem pole right? and we don't give ourselves permission to get the support we need. Right. Right. I think that's exactly it. We make excuses. And I think we make excuses because we're a culture where we're supposed to be able to do our for ourselves. And we're raised very much like nothing is of value unless you can do it on your own. And I do think that therapy is is somewhat as a pride issue. I can't do it on my own. What's the matter with me? And I also don't think that people understand the impact of divorce. I don't think we have conversations about the impact of divorce at the level we need to. And I'm not just talking about you and I, Stacey, know what it does to the marital estate, right? Yeah. Just yeah. frizzles it, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have a sense of what it does to our children, for sure. We talk about that at some level. But the person going through divorce, what does it really mean in your life? I think there's very little discussion around that. There's very little written about it. And it's, you know, from my perspective, it's almost worse than the death of a parent because a death of the parent, you're afterwards, you go through your grief and you've lost, but you recover, you move on. The divorce is a stigma and a circumstance that's always a subtext under your name, no matter what. It's always there and you have to go on with it, Mm -hmm. you know, and nobody else is going to look at it like, oh, I want to hear about that. Everybody, you know, else is going to be like, wow, I've heard enough. Yep. I've heard enough. Right. So I do think we have a real problem with that aspect. We just don't understand the impact of divorce in the long run. Yeah, I would love to see studies in the notes. I promise everyone listening will have a link to a few studies because I think that there are a few pieces of research that has looked at stress and divorce impact on health. Right. And what that looks like. And I think that's really important to know because, you know, a nine year divorce, that's nine years of dealing with God knows what. Right. right? God knows what. And, you know, you live life once. Right. That's for sure. Live life once. So with Family Kind, we're doing this Adult Children of Divorce Committee. And it's been a pet project of mine well, tell with me Leslie. A about Family Kind. I know it, but I want our listeners to okay. know because this is a very special organization. Yes, Stacey and I are both involved. And so Family Kind is a nonprofit. It provides support systems for divorcing and separating families. And the focus is to 
lessen the stress, minimize the stress on the children. So it provides expertise in mediation and parent coordination primarily, parent education programs to help parents understand that impact, also how to you know, manage it in terms of talk with each other and how they can manage each other through the divorce to minimize that impact on the children. So we just formed this Adult Children of Divorce Committee because I'm an adult and it, there's nothing out there. There's one book that I'm reading that talks very much about the effect of divorce period, but it's on the adult children and it's called Grief Out of Season and it's been out of print for a long time and I'm reading it, finally found it. It tells you a lot about those long-term effects. Yeah, I mean, health-wise for sure, but the effect on the parents and the, the adult children, I mean, you have your family unit, it's what gives you the floor underneath you and that's pulled out from underneath you and that's the case for the adult child and the parent yeah. for divorce. And when you have pull out from underneath you, you fall you can keep falling. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get help, you really can fall hard. For me, I bolted to Colorado and I got out of Dodge. And thank God I chose someplace that was like healthy and had a balanced lifestyle and where I could raise lovely children. I mean, thank God I did that. But, you know, where I moved to Colorado, there were a lot of people who did that. And moved to Colorado and got out of Dodge for similar reasons. So yeah. it's very, very much a misunderstood yeah. circumstance, that divorce and its impact. So we're circling to the end. And I know it's shocking because <laughs> it goes so fast. But are there any parting words of words of advice that you would give women who are you know, going through divorce? Uh, I'm, I'm sure you could talk an hour, but... Just anything else that maybe we haven't covered or? Yeah, well, I think we should follow through on that theme. Find a great therapist. Yeah. Don't be afraid to go in on a regular basis and get an opportunity to talk about how you're feeling and the fears that you're having. Yeah. If you're involved with behaviors that are self-sabotaging, for sure, you need to go to a great therapist because mm-hmm. those sabotaging behaviors are an indication of a lot of fear and you really need to explore and then find the ways to you know, manage those fears and to get past them Mm -hmm. and then ask for help from everybody that you know. Yeah. You can't ask for enough help. You can't get enough help going through a divorce. Yeah. And I would love to banish the stigma. I started seeing a therapist when I was 13 and thank God my parents were smart enough to know that teenager blues that I was going through were not just teenager blues. Right. And I've continued to see someone and You know, from the outside, my life looks perfect. I love my husband. I have great kids. But I will tell you that that has helped me be the person that I am today. Sure. And it's a big reason of why I love my life so much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going and talking to someone, whether they're a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a MSW, whatever they are, I think it's a source of strength. And we, far too many of us think of it in a different way. And bless, I feel like we all can use, we all can use that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I can't thank you enough, Robin. And Thank you, Stacey. I appreciate the opportunity. You've been so open and honest with your story, with your experience, with what you do on a daily basis. And I know a lot of the women listening would 
love to find out how they can contact you. I would love um, that because I would definitely be the kind of attorney that would help you go through the process in a holistic way yeah. and come out the other end with a future and a hope because that's my goal. I know what it means not to do it. So I would definitely support you through that. Great. Do you have a website or anything that we can share with everyone? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, you're going to go to uh, Jewel, J-E-W-E-L-L, law.com. Great. You'll and, see me there. Great. And I'll make sure that we put a link so that they can go there and uh, thank go you. around and, and see you there. That's too. great. Thank you, Stacey. So thank you. And Bye. thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week. And thank you for investing in yourself. If you have any questions about your personal financial situation and want a second opinion, that's something that we offer. We'll take an x-ray analysis of all your holdings down to the individual stocks and bonds to help you see how you're allocated. That's one piece. And all the other pieces are looking at you know, how that coordinates with the life you want to live, where you want to go, and how you're going to get there. If we can help you with that, just let us know. It's complimentary, and it's something that we know everyone could really benefit from. So thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After, and we'll see you in two weeks.